It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Yeah, I think it really makes you pay attention to the weather, and you've got to make those decisions right now. We want the wind in this first quarter, and we're going to rack up as many yards, as many points as we can. And uh, what, uh, what happens after halftime happens after halftime, but we've got to go now. A third down gamble, quick kick. Joining me on this edition of Quick Kicks are the hosts of the Alouette's Flight Deck, Tim Capper and Cliffy D. Pine. Guys, welcome to the show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Where did football start in your life? Did it come from your family? Did it start somewhere else? What happened? It, it really didn't. It came from a love myself. I, I, grew, up in the, uh, I grew up in the deep south, Mobile, Alabama, as a kid even though I was born a Canadian. And I think it was just football in general. I don't know. I always was pulled towards things. You know, I, I, I never played football. I always loved sports. I loved logos. I think it was a combination of the two things that really got me interested. Uh, the university where I was near didn't have a football team at the time. So I think just in general for me, I think it was just, just the love itself. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan for years. Why? I have no clue <laughs> because nobody else that I in my family is a Steelers fan. I think really football for me probably uh, really started in the late 80s when I happened to see uh, a game on, on ESPN. I think I don't remember if it was on tape delay or if it was live itself, but it happened to be the Arena Football League. And I've always been a sucker for these alternate type of sports, whether it be football, baseball, et cetera. But this, this just really intrigued me. And uh, I think that that's really where it started for me because for myself, I mean, I knew of the CFL, uh, the, the owls, you know, really weren't on my radar. And, you know, it's funny, the CFL never really was a thing for me until I moved back home to Montreal back in the late 80s. And I decided once I heard we had a team, we're getting a team. I went to the the name unveiling now that near the Bell Center and I became a season ticket holder that second year. It's always been CFL in and the Arena League uh, and then obviously on top of that it, you know it's the NFL. So it's I've just been a whole conglomerate really of of football itself my entire life. So it's I, I never had a family member that really pulled me toward it. I think it was just just the game itself that really intrigued me, depending on no matter what game it was, four downs, three downs, 50 yards, 110 yards. I was just, just intrigued with the game. It's kind of funny that uh, Tim mentions that time period uh, back in the, the late 80s when the Alouettes were around, because when I started watching football, it was more like in the, the late 80s, early 90s, but by that point, the Alouettes had ceased to exist. So, like, I knew of the Alouettes. Like, I knew they were a football team. But since there was no team, there was just no connection to the CFL like that, which is kind of funny because I've sort of carved myself out a bit of a niche on, on online as, like, the Alouettes guy, like, doing the podcast and the blog and all that stuff. And yet, I've actually been an NFL fan a lot longer than I've been a CFL fan. Started uh, following the 49ers uh, back in uh, – I think it was 89, just after they won 
a Super Bowl, then they go and they win another Super Bowl. So back-to-back champions, like, wow, I picked the right team. Like, so I, I freely admit, I'm, I hopped on the bandwagon. But the difference is I've stayed on the bandwagon through thick and thin. So kind of proud of that. I didn't have any disdain or anything for the CFL. Like, I, that's one thing I never understood is people hating on the CFL just because it's different than the NFL. Honestly, I, I knew of the CFL. I thought it was kind of funny that they expanded to the United States and had games there. Like, I didn't know how that was going to fly. And I, well, I guess found out later on how it flew. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just sort of, I knew it was there. I knew the CFL was there, but I was always, always of the opinion like, well, Montreal doesn't have a team, so I really can't get behind it like that. Like, it'd be if Montreal ever got a football team again in CFL, I definitely would be. 100% on board with it. And lo and behold, when the Baltimore Stallions won the Grey Cup and then moved to, relocated, I should say, to Montreal a few months later, I decided, you know what? You want to give me a team? I'm going in, diving in full force. I'll be a, on board with this team because, again, nothing beats watching live football. And to me, that's what it was all about. Like, I couldn't really watch the 49ers live so easily, but I can go watch the Alouettes live. So to me, it was a no brainer as far as I was concerned. And haven't looked back since. So just to follow on that cliff, 1996, I guess the Alouettes come back. Was there a game? Was there a, an event? Was there something that just really got you going? Just said, hey, wow, this is something special. Pretty much when they announced that the the, the Stallions were going to relocate to Montreal. That, that was pretty much what got my, my excitement level. Because again, I, I really wanted to have a football team in Montreal. For the longest time, there wasn't one. Then all of a sudden, boom you decide okay the the defending Grey cup champions like that had nothing to do with it but i mean defending Grey cup champions decide to relocate to montreal done deal i mean that's that's it that's it right there like and like okay are they still going to be the alouettes or it could be another team like i don't care call it whatever the hell you want but you give me a football team and i'm going to support it lo and behold uh they make the announcement it's going to the team's relocating they will become the montreal alouettes again and ever since then, like, you know, everything they did, like I would, I became interested in, I cared about. And I'd like to think for the most part, my fandom, if you will, has been rewarded by this team more often than not. So yeah, I mean, there was not one specific moment that I said is other than just the announcement that, Hey, Montreal is getting a professional football team one more time. I'm like, great. I'm on board. Let's do this. Didn't you and I Cliff go to the, go to the naming the, un- the logo unveiling, but we just didn't know each other. I think so. I think, yeah, the, because I, I do remember that, like at the uh, downtown, actually sort of adjacent from the Bell Center where the Montreal Canadiens play. That's, they have a, there's a restaurant there. It used to be called Moe's, but I think now it's a Baton Rouge. Yeah. A giant, giant mural was painted with the new Alouettes logo. And that's how they announced it to everybody. Like everybody knew it was going to be the Alouettes, but then it's like, okay, are they going to go back to the Delta logo, the triangle logo, if you will? Are they going to come up with something new? Like, what are they going to do? And I was just curious about, as as is everybody, we're just curious as to how it was going to be. And once they made that unveil, I don't know about you, Tim, but I saw it, I'm like, holy crap, that is awesome. And looking back now, like, I I, I know back in the, the mid to late 90s, it was all about outlandish, cartoonish kind of looks for a lot of football teams. And like, that was just perfect for the time as far as I was concerned. Tim, your thoughts on that unveiling? I don't remember. I, I heard about it too. I, I, I got involved in, I mean, I liked seeing, you know, the CFL USA. I wanted a team myself too, because, you know, the other sports that I had had, there, there was no, I, I never had my official team. I did, I know I did some, some traveling myself to 
to Albany, New York for Arena League games. That was my de facto home team. But for this thing in 96, I remember hearing about it. But I don't remember what got me to go. I can't remember if I was... I can't remember if it was... I think it was actually... I made the choice to take an early lunch from work to go to this thing. Like Cliff said, just to see the, 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 the logo itself because before that, I think there had been talk that... There were issues about the name itself, not being able to get the rights to the name. And I think at one point, Cliff, we had heard that they may have been rumors that they were going to be called the attack. Something to that effect. I was in, I think, the French newspaper. Oh, wow. I honestly don't remember that. (laughs) But I I was there. I saw the hats that they had. I remember specifically corduroy hats with the old Alouette's word mark on it. I knew once I saw one, I had to get it. And it's just from there... I, I took it, you know, I took it day to day on what I was going to do if I was going to become a season ticket holder that first year, or if I was going to wait. You know, I, as I said, it's I, I, from that point I've I've been a, a Montreal Alouettes fan through and through, win or lose. Thing that happened from '96 on, and Cliff alluded to it. You've got a championship team that basically relocates to Montreal, and right away you're in the mix. The Alouettes mm-hmm. are there for the next 15 years. No, it was. Uh, I, I think we were very fortunate because even though like it wasn't quite the exact championship team that had won the Grey Cup, I mean there were still a few pieces of that. But uh, for example, Don Matthews was no longer the coach. Uh, I, I just remember like just the idea of like putting the team together and knowing for the most part it was going to be competitive. That to me really meant. Like, I don't. I don't think we really got to appreciate Jim Pop to start with because again like. A, at that, at that point, I was definitely a neophyte when it came to CFL because I didn't know who the real, like, I mean, you knew some of the bigger names, like, you know, the, the executive types and all that, but like the real movers and shakers, I had no clue on who they are. So I had no idea if who Jim Pop was and just how instrumental he was going to be in not just, I, I don't, I don't want to say, like, we always call him the architect of the Alouettes, but I mean, some of it was a little bit of maintenance. Like he had the, the pieces there from that championship team is just obviously he had to rejig a few things here and there by and large, he proved himself as being able to build a championship caliber football team year after year after year, even if they didn't always win the championship, like you said, you knew that the Alouettes were going to be in the mix, if nothing else. And for the, those first 15, 20 years, you could definitely say that the Alouettes were, you could almost guarantee that the Alouettes would at least be a playoff contender. I think the, I think the issue with 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 us as fans is we needed to remember why the team had left, and I, I don't know if that was going to always hang over our heads. You know, we felt that that Jim Spiros was the savior for bringing the football team back. We do well in in you know we do well in the standings, but they didn't show up. Fans didn't show up, and and I think we were as fans we finally have a new team back after ten years, or at least the city does after ten years. And, and they're this close to losing the team again because I, I don't know it was because of apathy because the team is really doing well or if it was the big O. Uh, I, I, in my opinion, I think it was the big O because I've seen how my seats have changed over the years and where they were at the big O. I felt my seats were, were horrible. The big O's not good for, for, for football and all, you know, and luckily for us. And, and you know, it's funny. It's funny when we're doing, we're taping this, this interview is that, uh, it's almost to the day 
that U2 basically makes and changes the history of the Alouettes because they have to, they have, they have the big old book. So all those changes with the wet nulls coming in, you know, we, we almost lost the team as quickly as we did. So it's, I'm, I'm happy just to be able to have the team still even, even 20 plus years later. Hasn't been perfect. There's no no question about that, but I, mean, I think the, the positives more than outweigh the negatives. I mean, I, I know the past few years haven't been kind to Alouettes fans. It's, sorry, you, you almost have to sort of go through stuff like that a little bit to sort of appreciate things. And you take a look at what's happened last year, how this team has come together the way that it did. It, it, it's incredible just to see what, like now it, last year, I think felt a lot more like those glory years. Like we started to see a lot more of what fans were getting excited about. Every time they'd come to Olympi- uh, Molsa Stadium to see the Alouettes play, you knew you were going to be entertained for the longest time. It wasn't like that. Like from, I'd say 2015 to 2018, it was, it was tough sledding. That's for sure. Even the, even when the team was try, at least trying to be competitive, it still didn't quite have that same feel to it. And it kind of reflected on, on the field and it reflected off the field as far as, as, as Tim said, the, the apathy, the, the, the non-urgency to be able to go to Alouette's games. Whereas last year, now you finally got that because now you know that if you go into an Alouettes game, you're going to be entertained. Win or lose, the Alouettes are still going to put on a very entertaining product. Now going, well, what would have been going into the 2020 season, would that momentum, would that momentum have stayed with the team, with the new ownership, with the new uh, administration and everything that's in place based on the fact that we've got this? We still have that, for the most part, very exciting product on the field. Would that have carried over into 2020? Like, that's the one thing that I often wonder Throughout this whole uh, uh, canceled season and everything, that, that was one thing I've been wondering about more than anything else is, would we have been able to maintain that momentum from 2019 going into this year? Losing 2020 was probably a bigger blow in a lot of ways emotionally than it was maybe in other ways. I, I think so too, because you know everybody hears about certain players that you may have been following in other leagues that have come that are coming to the city and. You know, we know a few of those guys that we had followed in other leagues and they they were signed by the Owls and and, and they're not getting their chance. You know, so I think it, it puts a lot of pressure on them. And we 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 just recently spoke with uh, Matt Schiltz to hear about what his lost 2020 season has been for him. And it's these guys for sure only play this game for love because uh, unless you are, you know, a Bo Levi or if, if you're a Vernon Adams, you're not going to be making, you know, you're not going to be making the, the contracts and you know the six digits. But it's, I think people need to remember that it's not only the fans, but it's also the players too, because COVID this year, I think, put a damper on the what could have been for the Alouettes in 2020. I think a lot of people think that, uh, at least Alouette fans do, that I think the team could have made a run. So that, that I think, <laughs> I think that's why it's so frustrating. I think it goes to what will happen in 2021. We're hoping that I think the biggest positive right now is that the league has started this new virtual gray cup thing, which I'm hoping it really does well. At least it's getting finally getting the league back into the public eye again. I just want all the fans to be able to come back. CFL football is a massive part of my life. Oh yeah. I think for me, I think it would have been by 25th year as a season ticket holder in 2020, I think. And I've hardly missed I've missed any games. I know what you're talking about because, you know, I only missed a game when I had to. And what the Owls have done over the past couple of years, 
when it comes to perks and stuff like that, it, it got me closer to the game. And obviously with Cliff and I doing the podcast, we've gotten to know the players better. We've been able to do a few more things that we, that Joe fan normally wouldn't have. And obviously things that we had planned on doing in 2020 and beyond, which are going to be put on hold because of that. But the COVID situation really hurt the CFL family. It really did. Players, fans, executives, employees, et cetera. Pretty much anyone who's associated in the CFL in any way, shape, or form, definitely they've taken a hit as far as uh, their participation, I'll say, within the league. I think Mm -hmm. definitely it's taken a hit as a result of COVID-19. It's it's been tough. I mean, like you said, there's, there's a void. And you can try to fill it with other things. But, I mean, there's still something about the Canadian Football League that we all love and we're not the only ones like we're not the only ones who are kind of searching for that something or just feeling that loss and it's it's been difficult we haven't been able to do nearly as much with the podcast that we'd like to do my 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 blog has been practically non-existent it's not because i don't want to write it's because i really don't have anything to write about it's difficult i mean with no games no discussion anything like that i mean yeah we can talk to players about certain things but i mean ultimately comes back to the same thing over and over again. So it's even that kind of feels like, okay, yes, we can do these things, but we've kind of reached, I don't want to say a limit necessarily, but like, okay, we've, we've done this. How many times can we do this over and over again and still sound original or fresh or relevant? And I think that's been one of our biggest challenges as far as this goes, because without any CFL games, without a great cup, without anything, any sort of major Alouettes news to talk about, we're just kind of spinning our wheels a little bit. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. There are a lot of players that you have had on your program among them who has been the most significant we were talking about this actually uh i I think well both times that we talked with matt schultz was absolutely incredible uh i'm extremely proud of the interview we did with uh dj lalama earlier this year talking with him at the cfl about the cfl draft each has its own story by the way cliff i will make everybody that we've interviewed i'm sure the ones that that stand on that are on the high on our list each have their own very unique story. And yeah. it's why we like it so much. But I go ahead. I digress. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's one thing I've taken from every interview is that everybody's got something to say. And there have been a couple of interviews where it's been a little challenging to get something out of them. And maybe that's just on them. Maybe it's on us. I, maybe it's both. But uh I definitely feel extremely proud of the interview we did with uh, Vernon Adams because that was actually the first interview we did live in person. Well, I mean, it wasn't broadcast live. That was pretty good. And I think we got a lot out of him as well. Like we, he definitely shared a lot of great insight and told some great stories too. So, I mean, like there's not one interview where I could say, holy crap, that is the best interview we've ever done. But there's a few that really do stand out like the ones that we mentioned. And I mean, I know there's still a lot more, uh, the Ben Cahoon interview we did for our 100th podcast. Yeah, that's, that that's was, my favorite fanboy one. I will admit on that one. <laughs> yeah, but that's tough though because again, like, and I'm sure Tim would agree. Like, the we sort of 
grew up, if you will, with Ben Coon. Like he was a part of what made grew the up, and I think great. we're the same age. <laughs> well, and again, I that's why I did the, the air quotes. Yes, yeah. yes, he's in our age group, but at the same time, like we we saw him on the field. We saw him grow from being, uh, you know, just a Canadian draft pick into a bonafide superstar, and dare I say it, a legend here in Montreal. Yeah. And to be able to have the opportunity to speak with him and recount his stories. And he, it was just such a good interview in that he held nothing back. He was super fun to talk to. I mean, just, you know, lots of laughs. Uh, I, I really got the impression that he, enjoyed, I think he enjoyed talking to us as much as we enjoyed talking to him. And when you get an interview like that, there's nothing better. I always say that if I can go through an interview and just learn one new thing, then I'm happy, especially because as soon as I learn it, everybody else learns it. And Cliff, you'll, if I'm sure you remember that one thing that we learned specifically in the Ben Cahoon interview is why he had, he didn't, remember, he didn't have 86 as his original number. We found out why he had the original number that he did. <laughs> and it was a unique story. Yep. You were talking about the Vernon Adams interview. Many don't know is that Cliff and I did that in the, well, just really Percival Molson have bowels. <laughs> That's the big O. But he took time out after training camp to come to us in one of these more secluded areas away from everybody. And him and Cliff and I just sat there. I had my phone in my hand during the interview. And we just chatted. Just chat. Just stood there and chatted. I mean, he could have said, no, I got to go, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he could have given us five, ten minutes, kind of blew us off. But no, he was engaged he wanted to be a part of this like he wanted to be there just as badly as we wanted to be there and as i said look that to me that's what makes a great interview is when you've got a guest that's you could tell wants to be there like he wanted to get the word out for himself mm -hmm. and we wanted to get the word out for him too so i mean like i, I guess you could say we were kind of on a we had a common goal in that we wanted to make sure that everybody knew who Vernon adams was because also too don't forget during that training camp he was fourth on the depth chart, believe it or not, as far as quarterbacks. He was almost an afterthought to a lot of people because everybody and their mother thought that Antonio Pipkin was going to be the guy going into 2019. And even the Owlets were kind of pushing towards him more. And Vernon was kind of, I don't want to say necessarily cast aside, but he wasn't necessarily given the opportunity. Like he had to work to prove that, hey, I should be leading this football team. You give me that opportunity and believe me, I'm going to make the most of it. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Pipkin gets hurt, Vernon steps in, and all of a sudden, everything snaps into place. And look what happened in 2019. That's what it came out. And just to be able to talk to Vernon before all of that happened, even though the Alouettes, unfortunately, lost the Eastern semifinal. Yeah, I think what I like is not what you normally get on, ra on regular radio interviews is you're able to get a little historical background. And that that's that's the Stuff that I really like is, I mean, anybody can talk about what's coming up the next week and give us all this, you know, any player can give us the superlatives that seem to be written in, you know, the handbook of player player interviews. Yeah, that one. And there, there are others. I mean, it's uh, the, the, the now, I guess now we can now say the former voice of the Alouettes, Rick Moffat. That was a great interview, too, because he, he is his football background in Montreal goes all the way back to the Montreal machine. I, I, I think if I were to pick a favorite one, go back to the original question, I'd probably fanboy over the one again, the, the Ben Cahoon one, but the, the Vernon Adams one is right up there. To be able to interview Anthony Calvillo, Ben Cahoon, and even the Luc Brodeur-Jodin, like guys from that 
2009-2010 Grey Cup winning squad. I mean, like to me, that's that's excitement. I, I'm I know there's still a lot more guys we need to sit and talk to uh, about that that time period with the Alouettes, and I'm definitely looking forward to having that opportunity. And like, if you were to tell Cliffy D from 2009-2010 that you wait 10 years from now, you're going to be talking to these guys on a podcast. And I, I guarantee the first thing I'd say is, what's a podcast? After that, I'd be like, I get to interview these guys? Sure. Oh, nine. I, I could have told you, Cliff, I'd already been a 10-year veteran at that time. So <laughs> all right, all right. don't act like you invented it. For a lot of people from where I am, 2009 is a lot of pain in that last 15 seconds of the game. But from your perspective, the Alouettes missed the first field goal. What's going through your mind and hearts at that moment? Did when you see the flags, what are you what are you thinking? I don't think I saw the flag until it was actually mentioned on TV. I thought the game was over. To, to be honest with you, I don't think I saw it. To, to me, it's to see that, get another chance, because that, that game was a roller coaster itself for Alouette fans. I, to be fair, I th- and I'm not one to give up, but I thought the game was done. How far ahead that the riders were, I thought the I thought it was done. You know, I'd gone through, I've gone I'd gone through my through my eleven stages. Was it my eleven stages of anger, or whatever it is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From you know, taking off, taking off the the jersey. What am I talking about? Ripping off the the Alouettes jersey, throwing it across the room, and I thought it was done. So I, I was obviously ecstatic. But in hindsight, you go back and you look at it, you can only imagine what it was like for for Ryder fans on the other end. But unfortunately, when it comes to history, everybody's going to remember remember the thirteenth man game, considering that the Riders are known for their thirteenth man. It's kind of uh, it's kind of ironic that that's going to be the name of the game. And I think it's fair to say that every Montreal Alouettes fan was just cursing the, a blue streak when the ball sailed to the right. And then as soon as you see the flag, like, sure, sure enough, like, like I just kind of caught it out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, but I was, again, I'm so conditioned to think that every flag is going to go against the Alouettes. I'm like, well, this is just going to be, you know, like just, you know, you know, the cherry on top. Like, this is how, this is how you're really going to sink the Alouettes. Just throw a penalty in there, which is going to get declined, obviously. As soon as they, I think it was Glenn Suter was talking about maybe it's holding, maybe it's like as soon as they announced illegal illegal substitution, too many men. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what? That means they get closer. Duval's not going to miss this. And then, sure enough, as soon as the ball went right through the uprights, just boom, like just an explosion of emotions. Like, oh my gosh, like. It really happened. The CFL is probably going to play in 2021. I don't think they can go two in a row without playing. And they're probably going to figure out a way to bring fans in like the NFL has. What is it going to be like for you guys to finally get back to Molson and see the Alouettes play? It'll, it won't be as bright. It'll be a long time coming, I will admit. I'll be happy to see a lot of my friends that I haven't seen in real life in a while. So it's... But... You know, you'll be there, you'll be happy there, but it, it'll it'll still be different. That's the thing. It'll be different. But hopefully everything will be for the better. The league can adapt, and, you know, the league's had to adapt many times before. I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, when the Alouettes gave me the option, and that was in, earlier in the year already when they started canceling games, I didn't hesitate. You know, I've already pushed it forward to 2021 for my season tickets and i think 
once we get back to Molson Stadium and watching Alouette's football again, I think it's going to be restoring a sense of normalcy for us. I, I think that's what it's going to come down to is it may not be exactly how we remembered it. I, I don't foresee 25,000 people in the stands. I don't foresee 20,000. I, I, I'll dare say that maybe even 10,000 might be a bit of an ask. We may have to wear masks. We may have to space ourselves out. Like we can't be, you know, sitting with, you know, groups of your friends and anything like that. Like this, and this is something that, ironically enough, that the Alouettes have been trying to push so hard over the past couple of years is is their group sales and selling the idea of getting your family and your friends together all together watching Alouettes games. And now, you may have to go a complete one eighty and do the exact opposite. But I think it'd be like fifteen percent for. Because considering the, the Owls, you know, we hold just under over 20. Yeah. just Officially? Over Officially, yes. So yeah. a couple thousand, if that. Yeah. But you know what? If if that's what it takes for us to get football back, and uh, again, if, if they're not doing it already, I sincerely hope that the league, the board of governors, the commissioner, they're all working on finding a way to in, start a new business model because – it's clear that change had to happen. The fact that the, this, all these other sports leagues were able to continue on in some way, shape, or form, and the CFL is still on the sidelines for 2020, that's a, that's a very bitter pill to swallow. And I really hope that was the wake-up call that this league needs to realize that, hey, something is not right here. We're not in as great a shape as we thought. How do we get to that place? How do we get to, the, to where we can be back as much as possible. Like I said, it will never be 100% like it was before, or at least it'll be a long time before we get back to that point. But how do we get back to a place where we can be as close to quote unquote normal as possible? And I sincerely, sincerely hope that the league, the board of governor, everybody that's involved with the Canadian football league itself and all nine of its teams, I sincerely hope they are truly working on a way, a new business model that's going to work and ensure that all nine teams are successful that everybody's paying attention to the CFL, even if you can't get into the stadium because of COVID restrictions and what have you, as long as this league is relevant and prosperous and on everybody's minds to the point where you can say, oh my gosh, summertime's almost here. It's almost time for CFL football, like we're supposed to be. If you can get back to that point and ensure that there's no question marks hanging over anybody's head other than, is everybody going to be watching the game on Friday night? That's got to be key right now for the CFL, the Board of Governors, the Commissioner, everybody that's involved in getting the football teams back on the field, back playing in front of fans. That's got to be key. There's got to be a way to do it, and they've got to get it figured out. The only thing you have to focus on right now is getting the CFL back up and running as close to normal as possible and in a way that you know is going to ensure success for the league for years and even decades to come. You know, the CFL could have been the leader in what to do when it comes to playing football in the COVID era. We could have shown the NFL how to really do it, but they decided not to. So the NFL is now showing us. Tim Capper, Cliff D. Pine, thank you so much for being on Quick Kicks. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you other than on the Alouette's Flight Deck? You can find me over on uh, Twitter at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And if you want to shoot me a follow on Twitter, just hit up at Cliffy D. 
And if you're still interested in checking out the blog, it is still there. If you still want to read uh, my previous thoughts on the Alouettes, you can do so at uh, www.alsternative.com. And of course, by all means, check out the Alouettes Flight Deck, which you can find on Twitter at AlouettesFLDeck. And you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks again, guys. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. For 107 years, every Grey Cup moment has included you, the fan. This is your league. Through fog and rain, in tragedy and triumph, you are the foundation of this league. Now take your place in history. Etch your name on the Grey Cup fan base. Become a part of the Grey Cup's legacy. Add your name and raise the cup.